Show us your glory, Lord. I don't know if you, I, what is God's glory? I, I, I don't know. If I took a stab at it, it may be the, the manifest evidence of his holiness. And so, God, I want to see your glory right here in this place today. And smiles on people's faces because we're in the house of the Lord. Uh, if you are a guest, we are so glad that you are with us. And I've got a, a bulletin here. If you look inside your bulletin, you can see there's a, there's a little tear out where you can put some information. And we'd love to get in contact with you, know, know who you are, and, and be able to uh, minister to you a little better. And if you are our home folks, we're glad to have you as well. And I just want to take just a little bit of privilege to say we're really glad to see one particular home folk, Miss, Miss Carolyn. We're so glad to have you with us. Uh, God is good. God is good. And, and we're, we're excited that, that you're able to join us this morning. So right now, we want to take this time just to greet one another. So find somebody, shake their hand, and let them know you're excited to be in the house of God with them today.
Amen. Thank you, choir. One of our children would join me on the stage here this morning. All right. Hey, good morning. All right. How we doing today? You guys come on over here a little bit closer. I took a, I took a shower this morning. Slide down this way. All right. Brooklyn, come back down here. I got a question, especially for you. All right. How many of you, how many of you know what it means to go skydiving? Anybody know what that means? What does it mean? Jump out of an airplane. What'd you say? If it doesn't work, it's not for you. Yeah. All right. All right. If it first, yeah. If at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. To jump out of an airplane, but. Uh, is do you have anything? Are you, you tied to a rope or anything, or a parachute? Okay, you jump out with a parachute, and hopefully that gets you safely to the ground. Um, okay, what about what about bungee jumping? Anybody know what bungee jumping is? What is that? All right, all right. What is what is bungee jumping? With a trampoline? Okay. Oh, my goodness. Sounds like your dad's taking some bungee cords around the shop and had you jump on them or something. No? Okay. Well, what I'm thinking about is you're maybe way up on this bridge, this really high bridge, and they tie something to your feet and you jump off. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound kind of wild and crazy? Uh, what about this? How many of you have ever been swimming? Anybody ever been swimming in the pool or something? All right. I thought so. How many of you have ever had your, your mom or dad stand in the pool and try to get you. Just jump. I'll catch you. Just jump. Anybody ever do that? Yeah. Did you? And and maybe maybe you're a little bit nervous and you want to jump, but but then you finally jump and and they catch you and and you do that a few times. And if it's and if your dad happens to be me, maybe they they intentionally dunk you in the water real quick, you know, so you can feel what that's like. Um, but you you jump off and and your mom or dad they they catch you. Now. We have been also to the lake or been to the river where there's a real high bank. And it's not just jumping off like this step into the water. It's jumping maybe 10, 15 feet down into the water. That seems a little bit scarier. And only three of my kids have done that. You see, Brooklyn's here this morning. The other three are not here with us today. Um, <coughs> they're out of town. That's right. They're out of town. So, but they would... There would, it'd be re, it's really nervous to be up there, and I'm a little scared the first time I get up there to want to jump in. But, you know, once you do it, it's really a lot of fun. And maybe one day we'll convince Miss Lindsay that it's a lot of fun, and she'll do it. But, but listen, it sounds kind of crazy, but it, it's a lot of fun. Listen, jumping in the pool like with, with your mom or dad there to, to catch you, and, and, and you, you're a little bit nervous to do it, but, but they're there, and you do it, and they catch you, and everything turns out all right. That's a little bit what it's like trusting God. When he asks you to do something, and you think, God, this sounds a little scary, or this, this sounds a little crazy even. But you're, you're telling me that you're going to be there. You're telling me you're going to catch me. I don't know. This is kind of hard, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. God asks us to do some things sometimes that just don't make sense to us. But when we do, and when we follow God, he 
catches us. And everything's all right. When we're following Jesus, he takes care of us. All right? Let's, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for illustrations of faith that we see all throughout Scripture. God, uh, I know sometimes you look at me and say the same things you said to so many others. Oh, you of little faith. Lord, I pray these children understand what faith means, that they can, they can trust you, that they can trust God, that they can trust Jesus. Lord, but not just for the children, everybody here, that we can trust you even when, even when it seems a little bit scary. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. please remain standing and turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts. We'll be continuing our series through this, uh, through this great book of the New Testament. Acts chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Verse 26. An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. Lord, thank you for your word. Please bless the reading of your word and give us open ears and open heart to hear a message from you today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be seated. 
Now, if you've been with us, obviously we're going through the book of Acts, and last week in particular we looked at the first portion of chapter 8 where we discussed the persecuted church, and that will come back into play a little bit here for us this morning where we talked about how we can pray for the persecuted church and how we don't have to wait until we are under severe persecution to begin proclaiming the message of Jesus Christ, but we can do that uh, where we are right now today. And then there's a portion here that, that I didn't uh, feel led to preach from. It, it talks about Philip as he goes out and uh, he, he is proclaiming the good news into Samaria. And there's a particular man named Simon. And Simon hears the word and he appears to repent and trust Jesus as his Savior. But as you go on in the story, it looks like that it was not a true repentance, not a true gospel uh, transition, not, not a true change in his life. Uh, and so we have to be aware that sometimes, just as this, Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, sometimes it looks like the word gets rooted, but for various reasons it doesn't take hold in our life. And we need to really check ourselves and make sure that what we are doing is not just pretending as we come to church, but we are really part of the church. We have really been transformed by Jesus Christ. And so that one day when we stand before him and we say, Lord, Lord, he doesn't look at us and say, depart from me, before I, for I never knew you. But he welcomes us into his kingdom. And we have eternal life through Jesus Christ. We need to be sure that we are not like Simon. We need to be sure that we're not like the seeds on the soil that get choked out by the weeds or that get picked up by the birds or that fall on the hardened ground and, and we never repent but that our heart is like the good soil and it takes root and grows and reproduces as we make other disciples of Jesus Christ but today I want to look at this story as Philip is encountering the Ethiopian eunuch and so there's a question that gets thrown out sometimes as to who this guy is. Was this the very first Gentile that came to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Some would say yes, some would say no. That's reserved for Cornelius in chapter 10. We will get to that a little bit later. Side note, when we were having our first child, some of the youth thought I should name him Cornelius, so his name would be Corn Cobb, but I spared him that. Who was this Ethiopian eunuch? So let's, let's look and see what we have here Maybe there's just a little bit that we do know about him. Well, he served in the court of Candace, okay, so one of the queens in, in Ethiopia. He served in her court and uh, was a treasurer. It says that he was in charge of all of her wealth, all of her treasury. Now, the question comes is, in, 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 this, in some research, is he a eunuch physically or is this just a term that is synonymous with an official who might be in charge of, of the uh, treasury. And I begin to think about that. There are some words in our language that have kind of taken on that, a, a similar idea. The word album, for instance, when, when, a, when a musical artist releases a new album, you don't go down. Typically, this is not what normally happens if you haven't bought any music in the last 30 years. You don't typically go buy oh, something made out of vinyl. I, and there's a few places in the world where they, where they, where they still do that, even in the United States, because they, they think that everything's got to come back around. But, but a lot of times, it's downloaded digitally, but it's still called an album, 
Okay, so, so that happens. Or, or maybe you've even used the expression that you're going to dial somebody's phone number. But you're pressing, like, fake buttons. Okay? It, you know, but I remember having to turn, and you, you didn't like your friends that had nines and zeros in their number because it took so long to dial their number. Okay, but maybe one more word, a, a photographer. A photographer was someone who takes light and, and writes on a on a on a piece of cloth with light. That's really what a fo- photograph photographer does. Today, photographers don't often do that. It's all done digitally, but we still call them photographers. So our words change sometimes. Was this was this just a word that was used to that was synonymous with someone who was a treasurer? I'm not really sure. Maybe, maybe he really was physically a eunuch. Maybe it was just a term that was applied to him. Was he indeed a Gentile? Well, it says he's an Ethiopian, so that's one possibility. Some people say, yes, he was a Gentile. He was Ethiopian. And so that's why we say he was the first Gentile convert to Christianity. But perhaps he was a proselyte. That is someone who was not Jewish, was not Hebrew by their heritage, but joined into, the, joined into the Jewish faith and took on their customs, okay? Well, he was, he was in Jerusalem. He was there to worship, so we've got that. Maybe he was. But according to Deuteronomy 23, 1, uh, he would have been prohibited from entering into the temple if he was indeed a eunuch. So maybe he is a God-fearer. All of this, as I studied became more confusing for me than it was before I started. So I came to this conclusion. Ultimately, does it really matter if he was the first Gentile convert or not? I think if it did, Luke would have been a little more explicit for us. But what does really matter? What really is important here? Two things. First of all, he is from Ethiopia. By many standards, in the first century... He would have been considered someone from the ends of the earth. Someone from the far away places. So especially by the Greeks and the Romans. And perhaps we get our first little, our first little foretaste of the completion of Acts 1-8 that we've talked about this whole time. After that you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we see even Philip here as he's proclaiming the gospel in Samaria, and now the Lord tells him and transports him or, or, or at least leads him to this person from Ethiopia, to the ends of the earth. Now we know today, because we traveled a little bit more, that from Jerusalem to Ethiopia is not nearly the, quote, ends of the earth. There are far more lands on our world today. But for this, this first group of folks who would have read this passage, that would have certainly seemed like God is fulfilling that promise he made in Acts 1.8. It, it reminds me a little bit of St. Patrick. St. Patrick was someone who, I mean, he was, he was, he was, uh, taken into slavery and he escaped but he, he, he went back to Ireland uh, as, as a Christian his, his dad and his uncle were both Christians and leaders in the church and he goes but he chooses to go back to Ireland to take the gospel to the Irish people because for many for, for many folks for, for, for many reasons the Irish were seen as barbarians and so 
kind of the ends of the earth from the people who were in England. And so this is just an idea of, of continuing to go a little, bit, a little bit further than we have before to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we can do that far more even today. There are places that still do not have real gospel engagement. <clears throat> but if the first thing is we see the fulfillment of Acts 1-8, or the beginning, just a, a little foretaste of that, Acts 1-8, with him being from Ethiopia. We also see that there's a special revelation given to Philip. Some very specific instruction here. The angel of the Lord said, get up and go, and Philip got up and went. He was obedient. He didn't ask questions. The angel of the Lord said, this is what you need to do, and he did it. He says, get up and go, and then when he did and he got there, he says, now go join that chariot. Have you ever heard a clear instruction from the Lord? I mean, maybe you read some scripture and you said, I just know this scripture is speaking directly to me in my situation right now today. Or maybe you've just been in a place and had this overwhelming sense that you just, you just know God's telling me that I should do this or I shouldn't do that and it's a little different, it's a little outside my comfort zone, but I'm going to give it a try. Just a, a few weeks ago, my family and I went to tin, the tin drum after, uh, after services one Sunday. And so now that I've just planted that in your mind, I'll try to hurry through the rest of the service. But it was just impressed upon me that I should ask the waitress if we could pray for her. Hey, we're about to ask a blessing for our meal, and so we're going to be praying anyway. Is there any way we can pray for you? And found out that her grandmother, Beatrice, was in the hospital with pneumonia. And she just seemed to feel like, and, and she expressed to us that that was just a great blessing that somebody would ask to pray for her. But that's not anything big. That's not anything real big. It was a little bit different for me. You know, it's not something I normally do. Maybe it should be something normal. But maybe God's asked you to do something a little, a little bit scarier than that, a little bit bigger than that. I mean, look at Philip. Now, he had just seen multitudes in Samaria come to know Jesus Christ. He had seen multitudes come to saving faith in Jesus. And now he's asked to leave that fertile area with the gospel and go somewhere else on a desert road. It reminds me a little bit of Abraham. Get up and leave your family. Go to a place I'll tell you. Or Noah. Uh... I know there's not a whole lot of lakefront property here, but you need to build a boat. It's a little odd. But we want to be sure that we're faithful to the Lord. Now, last week I talked a little bit about the persecuted church, and then tonight we're going to have our International Food Fellowship. And, you know, as part of that, uh, we want you to look and, and find a, a dish from a country, and, you know, whatever that, whatever that might be, you, you bring it and, and we'll eat it or attempt to eat it if it's too you know anybody going to bring guinea pig I don't, I don't know but um, bring that but, but the other part that we, that we really want you to do and it's in your bulletin there's a website look at that look at that country and see what is that gospel engagement there we want to hear from, from you on that now everybody can't take 10 minutes or we won't ever get around to eating but just take just, just give us a little bit and find out, do a little bit of research and find out what is going on with the gospel, what's going on with the church in that country. 
Is the church under severe persecution? Is it a place where it's thriving? Are there missionaries there on the ground? Uh, maybe there's not. Maybe there's a group of people. Do they have the Bible in their own language? Just some of these things that you can find out. But the persecuted church, many different areas of our world, what if God were calling someone in this room this morning to carry the gospel into a very dark place? In just a second, we've got a, I've got a video. This is just a preview, a book that came out few years ago called The Insanity of God. There's been a movie been produced. But this is this chronicles a family. A family made the decision that they're going to carry the gospel into some of the darkest, most hostile places in our world. Look at this. said, I'm, I'm going. The thing is, I don't know when I'll be back. It was like getting in a plane in the New Testament and getting off the plane in the Old Testament. It was like I had flown into hell. And he said, Nick, they eat little missionaries like you for lunch. I stepped out of the plane and it was like you could taste darkness. It just became open hunting season. And on this one day in August, they killed four of my best friends. You don't think about things like this for your children. There was a feeling of um, everything in my body had gone to my stomach. The looks that you get from people is, if you hadn't taken your son to Africa, he'd still be alive. Because believers in Somalia, 1991, there were about 150 of them, and by 1997, only four were left alive. That's uh, that's crucifixion, almost without resurrection. And that's why we left Somalia so broken, as we watched a whole generation of believers wiped out. How can you stand? crucifixion without resurrection and I vowed unto God that part of the brokenness of Somalia would not be wasted those deaths that blood would not be wasted and we would find ways to prepare ourselves and others to go to the Somalis of the world without making the mistakes that cause the deaths of believers prematurely we need to go to places of persecution go to where believers not have survived but have thrived in persecution he said if while I'm in prison I hear that my wife and children are hung to death rather than deny Jesus I will be the most proud man in prison and what believers in persecution say we are so thankful that we have the honor to suffer with Jesus what would you call that? Would you call that sanity? 
Would you call that the American dream? I would call that the insanity of God. Sometimes God simply calls us to pray for someone or to ask how somebody's day is going as a bridge to share the gospel. Sometimes he calls us to do something that, well, it just appears absolutely insane. This looks very bizarre for Philip to get up everywhere that was so successful and go to a place, a desert place, and share the gospel with someone that he didn't even know. But let's continue in this story, beginning in uh, verse 30. When Philip ran up to it, so he, uh, let me back up. The Spirit told Philip, go and join the chariot. Verse 30, when Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearers, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch replied to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or another person? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. Now, there's just a couple of things here. There, there, there may be a lot here we could unpack and unfold. We could go back and read Isaiah and really get a picture of what's being taught there. But two characters are here. We have a teacher and a student. A teacher and a student. First of all, we have a teachable student. I want to let you know that it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask questions. It's really okay... Are you listening? It's, it's really okay to, to have some doubts. That there are some things that we're just not sure about. Frederick Beekner would say that doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. So we have these questions, we have these curiosities, we have these doubts, but how do we get them answered? We don't allow our doubts and our fears to drive us, but we go back to God's Word and we, and we search to find those answers. We go to people that we trust. We go to our Sunday school class, our Sunday school teachers, and we talk about these things. Um, I, I have had a couple of students on occasion come and, and talk with me about some things in my office. One of them, I even, I even handed a, a, a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity because I thought she could handle it, and, and she did. And, and just we've talked about some of these things. It's okay to have questions, but don't just allow those questions to drive you and allow those questions to push you away, but seek after finding those answers and look for solutions in God's Word and with, among God's people. I tell the students to never stop asking questions. But know this, we can't always have an open mind about everything. And I don't know if that's proper grammar, but it's pretty good rhetoric. We can't always have open, an open mind about everything. Okay? In fact, I would even say 
that growth, intellectual growth, mandates that we have a closed mind. There are some things, when once we have a foundational truth, we close our mind to that so we can build upon that, okay? And so once we, once we understand who Jesus is and, and, and what the gospel is, we, we put that as a foundation and we build upon that to see what the Bible is teaching us, what is our faith really saying, and then how we live that faith out in everyday life. So we have here a teachable student, but also we have part two is a studied teacher. We have a studied teacher. Now this, this little episode here reminds me a lot of another story that Luke records for us at the end of his gospel when we see two disciples walking to Emmaus and someone joins them and they're talking about scripture and they don't really understand it but this stranger expounds upon the scripture and explains things to them. They go and they partake in a little bit of a, in, in a, in a, in a sacrament uh, and then all of a sudden that guy's gone. It reminds me of that story. And so this is, this is what I want to share with you about, about this studied teacher. It says, that, it says that he shared the good news with him beginning from this scripture. That's in verse 35. Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus. The good news is bad news first. This doesn't sound like good news when you read that little portion of Isaiah that's recorded for us there. A sheep going to slaughter, a lamb that's silent before it shears. That doesn't sound like good news. In fact, it sounds like bad news. But the bad news is we're all destined to hell because of our sin. There's nothing we can do about it. But then we have the good news that Jesus Christ came, so we place our faith and trust in him, and he's done something about it. That's the good news. And I want to encourage you today, you can do this. You can expound upon Scripture. Some people think, I can't be a Sunday school teacher. I don't know how to. But, but you can expound upon Scripture. Practice it yourself in your personal study. Which, by the way, if you've, if you've gotten off track a little bit with us in our daily Bible reading plan that we began in January, I want to encourage you, too, to just jump back on tomorrow. Don't worry about the passages that, that maybe you've, you've, you've skipped out on. You can always come back next year and fill in those. Jump in with us because there's nothing like reading the Word, the word of God. So I would encourage you to, to do that. But you can expound upon Scripture. You can do this yourself in your own personal study. And here's just four quick things that I want to give to you. As you read a passage, first of all, what does this passage say about God? Where do I see God in this passage? What is it telling me? Is it talking about His justice? Is it talking about His mercy? Is it... Is, was it talking about his omnipotence? What is this telling me about God? The second one, what does this passage say about man? man are we sometimes gullible? Are we, are, are we sinful? Do we, do we occasionally get it right? What is this passage saying about man? Number three, where do I see Jesus in this passage? Now, you're going to see one of three kind of things as you look for Jesus in a passage. You're either going to see something kind of looking forward to the Messiah or maybe you might see this is actually Jesus. That's not just in the Gospels. Sometimes you really see Jesus in the Old Testament. Or later in the New Testament, you see writings referring back to Jesus. Uh, or, or maybe even Jesus yet to come. What, is this, excuse, what does this passage tell me about Jesus? And then lastly, what is the application from this passage? So if I know what it says about God and what it's saying about man, maybe I, I, I see Jesus or the Gospel in this passage, now, what's the application? And this one is a little more difficult, so I'm going to spend just, a, a, just, just another moment on, on this question. The application. 
Okay? Uh, there is a passage in the New Testament where Paul says that women shouldn't cut their hair. All right? Hold that thought for a minute. What we need to do when we read a passage, when we read a passage is think, now the very first people that read this passage, what would it be saying to them? Because it's not going to mean something different to me than it did to them. It's going to be that the Bible doesn't change. Its meaning doesn't change. Okay? What does this mean to them? And so that passage says women ought not to cut their hair. Is that, do I just take that directly and say, okay, women, don't cut your hair. That's not an appropriate application of that passage. He's talking about temple prostitutes, and so the women should not dress in a way so that they are confused with being prostitutes. There's the application. So we should, we should not present ourselves as someone immoral. We should, be, we should be careful how we do that. In fact, it might even be that the application is do cut your hair. I don't know. But the application from, from the passage, it first says, what does it mean to the original hearers? The, the, the first folks that read this passage, the first folks that would hear this, what is the teaching there? And now, transcend two, three, four thousand years later. How does that biblical truth apply to my life? It's a little bit of science and it's a little bit of art in there, but it's a lot of the Holy Spirit as he illumines the word of God for us. All right, we have a, a teachable student. We have a studied teacher. And we have a response to the gospel. Verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and evangelizing all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Verse 36, what would keep me from being baptized? Frank Stagg, New Testament scholar, says, this indicates that barriers have been removed, hindrances to the spread of the gospel to all people. In this case, a double barrier of both physical and racial prejudice had fallen. A eunuch, a Gentile, a black man, was baptized and received into full membership in the people of Jesus Christ. What would keep me from being baptized? Well, two questions. Are you a believer? And have you already experienced believer's baptism? That's really the only questions that we need to, to discuss. Not your heritage, your skin color, your physical condition, or anything like that. What would keep you from being baptized? Furthermore, notice that the eunuch did not ask, Philip, do I really need to be baptized? Can I just skip that part? He was excited to follow through with baptism. Now, just a couple of notes about the text here as we kind of finish up. Some of you, you maybe noticed, maybe you didn't. You read 30, verse 36 and you jumped right into verse 38. And there was no verse 37 there. There's a lot of theories out there about why some of these are included, or why verse 37 is included in some texts and some are not. But for me, the one I hold to is this. 
at the time that the King James was written down, we had some pretty reliable manuscripts of the, of, of the, of the New Testament. And those manuscripts had that verse in them. But since that time, in the last couple hundred years, there's been even older manuscripts that have been discovered as they've done archaeological digs and this kind of things. And those oldest manuscripts we have do not contain verse 37. Of course, they don't contain verses anyway, but they don't contain what is verse 37. It, it appears that somewhere along the way, as someone was writing down and copying these by hand, that a scribe inserted inserted this, this little sentence. Now, as you look, it's not contrary to any of the teachings of Christ or the apostles. It's not heresy that it's in there. It's, in fact, I think it goes to help substantiate the validity of the Bible and the keeping of God's word for all these years that we have people who say it's there and we recognize that it, maybe it wasn't there and it was added, okay? That it helps the veracity of Scripture. It helps us in understanding that God's word has been preserved. Just a little side note there. But then for me personally, the last couple of verses, it, it kind of bothered me all week long. It bothered me. Because I don't think we're just supposed to go about making converts, but we make disciples. But it appears that Philip had someone come to the saving faith in Christ, and then they left him. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, realize that sometimes in Scripture we have prescriptive text and descriptive text. What do I mean by that? Well, there's a normal pattern for believers here that believers are to be in community. Descriptive text. King Solomon had a lot of wives. That is just describing what happened. That is not prescribing that that is the way we should live our life. Okay, that's a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. Here, this could be considered a descriptive text, not a prescriptive, that we don't just go about and just tell the good news and then leave people. Okay, but more than that, Philip obeyed the call of the Lord to go, but he also obeyed the call of the Lord to leave. We don't know how long they talked. Maybe there's some that wasn't recorded here. Maybe they talked an awful lot about what it means to follow in, in, in the, the teachings of Christ. Philip didn't even leave under his own power when he did leave. And this Ethiopian, well, he had a copy of Isaiah, and perhaps he had more. He had been to the temple. Perhaps he really understood that he was looking for the Messiah, and as he shared the good news, he understood. You almost could say that he had been discipled before he was actually a disciple. He had been understood the, the teaching. So we have a calling. Philip, get up and go, and he got up and went. The good news of Christ is shared, and someone's life has changed. We have a personal celebration. Did you catch that? He went on his way rejoicing. My question is, what about you and what about me? What is God calling us to do today? God called Philip. Is he calling you? Do you know the good news of Jesus Christ? Can you share the good news? Can you share the gospel? Can you expound upon scripture? Can you be a teacher for someone? And lastly, maybe you're here. You've never been baptized. At least not in believer's baptism. And the question is, what's keeping you from being baptized? 
First of all, if you're not a believer, man, we can take care of that. We can, we can share the gospel with you, and if, and, if, and if the Lord's calling you, today could be a day of repentance and salvation for you, and we will celebrate. We'll be so excited. We'll celebrate with the angels in heaven that there's a new believer, and his life has been changed for all of eternity. What's keeping you from being baptized? Maybe you say, I'm afraid of water. Well, now look, I know I'm no Mr. Olympia, but I think I can handle you. Uh, as you get in the water, you know, you're lighter and you're buoyant, you know, because of buoyancy. And you can even hold your own nose, about a second and a half is all it'll take. Maybe you say, how about changing my clothes or my hair or my makeup? Well, I don't know if you know what's through that door, but there's a, there's a little restroom right there. It's got a fully functioning sink, sink and there's, a, there's an outlet in there for a hair dryer, and you can change in there, and there's a mirror. You can even put your makeup back on if you want to. Well, what about my relatives? I want my relatives to see it. Well, we'll plan a time when they can be here, or we could even record it, and you can send it to them. I don't know what to say. Hey, I'll even make you a cue card. We, we put little notes up there. You can't see it on the other side of that wall unless you've been in there. Then You can just read it right there. I don't like being in front of people. Well, then close your eyes. I don't know. But the bottom line, the bottom line, it's not really about you anyway. I don't want to burst your bubble, but it's not really about you. Because when you get in the baptismal waters, you're, you're proclaiming, I'm actually a horrible, wretched person. Praise God, because of Jesus Christ, I have salvation. And you identify with everyone else in this room who's gone through those waters. So what's keeping you from being baptized? Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for Philip. Thank you for men like him who are obedient to the call. Even a call that may seem extreme or insane. But Lord, thank you for the gospel. It changes lives. I pray this morning that if someone does not know you in a personal saving way, that today would be the day of salvation for them, and they too could go about their way rejoicing. And Father, that we would follow through in baptism, in obedience to you, as a symbol of our life, our death to that former way of life, and our resurrection in a new life in Jesus. Lord, you speak. May we listen and respond. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you will, please stand. We're going to sing. Take this time right now to spend some time with your Creator. Allow Him to speak to you and you respond. Whether it's there in your chair, the altar is open, or I'll be happy to pray with you if that is what you uh, are looking for. But as God speaks, you listen.
as you came to worship in the house of the Lord today. Good, I'm glad the four of you are. All right, if you will, make sure you pay attention to your bulletin. There are some things in there that, uh, well, you just need to be aware of. Uh, I want to mention again our uh, International Food Fellowship. Now, that's always a lot more fun when you bring food. Uh, it's hard to have a food fellowship without food. So, you just, you know, I know that in the past we may have discouraged, like, pizza or tacos, but uh, you know what? I, I like pizza and tacos, and so, um, but uh, if whatever, if you've got a dish, or even if you don't have a favorite dish, just come and, and, and enjoy that fellowship and hear about some missions from around the world. Uh, you, again, you can look in your bulletin and see kind of uh, where we can go and, and, and find some of that information. And then the other thing, real quick, uh, with, the, with the students, tomorrow's a Missions Monday, and so uh, meet up here at, at 9 o'clock at the church, come ready to work. That means bringing your gloves, bring clothes you can sweat in and maybe get a little dirt on. Uh, that would be good, too. And then uh, we'll, we'll feed you, feed you lunch, okay? Uh, and I'll send out an email with more details about it. But at this time, I want to ask Steve to come and have a closing prayer for us.